0: Nothing stomps louder than boots on the ground. Welcome to the FLIR Delta Podcast, where we bring in leaders within the drone community and discuss their insights, perspectives, and unique journeys through the unmanned industry. I'm your host, Randall Warnus. In this episode, I sit down with Matt Dunleavy, CEO and President of Skyscopes. We talk about entrepreneurship within the industry and the importance of LiDAR and BB loss flights. All right, man. Matt, it's good to be with you and sit down to talk a little bit about the drone industry. But before we do that, I just want to get a little bit of idea of who you are outside of drones, outside of the industry. What kind of things you get into? What, where you're from? Those sorts of things. Yeah,
1: absolutely, Randall. Thank you first and foremost for having me here. Yeah, it's always an honor to associate with Fleer. You know, you guys are doing some incredible things in the industry. I think that the slogan of the world's sixth sense is a fantastic one you know just a little bit about myself so i also in addition to being a part of the uas world teach uas mm-hmm. in some classes at the university of north dakota so i guess that's part of the uas world still but i mean outside of the uas commercial industry sure. and you know some of the courses that i've taught are unmanned aircraft systems engineering design and applications unmanned aircraft systems ethics and unmanned aircraft systems business all of which we have even discussed some of the study materials that pertain to FLIR. You know, we've, we've looked into some of the, you know, industry papers and a lot of even just <laughs> marketing materials you would find at a conference in some of these classes. And, you know, I think that it's important to be able to have something else that one does outside, I think, of the UAS business as I run one called Skyscopes, mm-hmm. but that it still has an element of unmanned aircraft when I teach at the University of North Dakota is helpful in terms of the direction of where a company would go. We like to be on the state of the theory in, in terms of the industry, and, and also it's, a, it's good to have relevant class materials that we find in the industry to bring to classes. You know, some of the hobbies that I have, I you know enjoy playing the violin and playing chess. I'm okay. a competitive chess player and like to, uh, hobbies wise, I, I like to also read.
0: Okay. So where does the interest in airspace come from?
1: Well, I've always had a passion for aviation since before I can remember, probably since I first saw a bird or an airplane fly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I really think that the marriage of unmanned aircraft systems with sensors, the sensor actually makes the unmanned aircraft a system and a system of systems at that. I've loved unmanned aircraft since I knew that there was value to them as they stem from manned aircraft that You know, I've always been interested in especially aviation history since before I can remember. You know, I always had a high regard for the Air Force. Currently, I'm the honorary commander of the 69th Reconnaissance Group, Mm -hmm. which is the entire inventory of the Air Force's RQ4 Global Hawks. I'm particularly proud of it, but really what that means, it boils down to, is I get to say that every once in a while, but, you know, the, the Global Hawk is one of the most amazing aircraft that we put in the air and it also just happens to be unmanned. You know, I, I always have enjoyed aircraft, particularly as a tool, but it's just a passion that goes back to before I can remember. That's
0: good. So I, another passion of yours seems to be entrepreneurship. And as an academic, you also seem to be starting businesses and, and have, growing those and having those flourish. What drives your desire to be owning your own company and be an academic at the same time?
1: Yeah. Well, so, entrepreneurs what it boils down to. A, some of the young ones what they like to do most are to build and to own and you know i'm (laughs) not particularly a young entrepreneur anymore but i definitely like to build Mm -hmm. and oftentimes i find that one has the most leeway to build an organization when they also found it and build the innovative pathways that stem from that business its inception and you know even even different pivots from the ways in which you can start a company. And you know, ownership really isn't that big of a deal, I think. I think more important is the building, and that's where my passion really is for startups.
0: Got it, so your current project is Skyscopes. Correct. Tell us a little bit about what Skyscopes is, what you bring to the table, what your mission is.
1: Yeah, well, so Skyscopes is one of the top UAS flight operations organizations commercially in the United States. And it's in no small part because of the ways in which we're able to innovate new solutions with some of the sensors that we use, such as the the FLIR. We have several FLIR sensors, absolutely have loved working with our sensors that we get from FLIR. And you know, we, we have differentiated ourselves, I think, from the crowd with our ability to focus and define where our main gravity of efforts are. and. One of those is in the oil and gas world, Mm -hmm. where we use a lot of our thermal sensors and our optical gas imagers. We also do LIDAR and we're somewhat well known for some of the drones that we use to string transmission lines.
0: Okay, so right now with the, the payloads and the airframes that are available in the drone industry and software, where is the drone industry lacking to support and serve the energy customer?
1: Absolutely, that's a fantastic question. I think right now there are ways in which we can change the data that makes that data that much more actionable for end users, such as utilities or such as oil and gas companies. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're on the cusp of that those machine learning revolutions and artificial intelligence. User interfaces, affordability there, are also getting more slick and I think we're gonna see a a breakout moment for the actual data that's collected. Important that we all as UAS industry oriented individuals lobby and advocate for the relaxation of permissions for UAS operations.
0: Absolutely so in that vein what is the FAA doing that you feel is either restricting our ability to grow this industry or what what changes would you make that would enable more use of drones in the energy space specifically.
1: Well, right now, I mean, there's a long way to go, but I can't I can't fault the FAA. They've got the resources even though it seems like sometimes they're strapped for bandwidth and capacity to get, you know, waivers out of the integration office. I still think that, you know, they're trying to get their arms around this as well as anyone else is and I would say that you know they've they've got a a tall order in in making sure that the skies above the United States stay the safest in the world mm. and my thoughts there are that you know they they should continue to focus their efforts on getting operations over people and beyond visual line of sight permissions out as soon as possible i think the ipp the test site system a lot of the university work that's going on in partnership and also the private Sector partners working in partnership with the FAA are steps in the right direction, but I I would love to see them take up the the mantle and and really roll that out soon. But of course, it would have to be done in a safe and scalable way.
0: Right. So, Skyscopes is five years, right? Correct. Okay. So, in five years, I guess rewinding back to the foundation of the company, Mm -hmm. what were you (coughs) intending it to be? And then what things have happened over the last five years that caused you to change that position or change your focus?
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Because our company has been an organic one since the beginning. Mm. And our first value statement was we wanted to use drones for two purposes. One was with FLIR to fly and inspect buildings. Mm-hmm. And the other one was to fly with electro-optical cinematic sensors to just take videos and photos of wedding parties and sell those to the the wedding party and usually they'll have their wallets open so but the problem was we have an extraordinary pipeline of UAS talent coming out of the University of North Dakota Mm -hmm. and the Research Institute for Autonomous Systems there which and they definitely have FLIR on their radar but you know the the pilots that come out we needed to do justice we learned when they've got this four-year degree in UAS operations or even the people separating out of the global hawks and the Reapers out at Grand Forks Air Force Base into the civilian world, you know, we're not just gonna have them flying weddings. So the industrial purposes that really fit the way in which these guys are in lockstep with their previous industries are in oil and gas, are in utilities and a lot of the new complex missions. So, you know, in terms of events, it's UND standing up a UAS four year baccalaureate program. And then there's also major events in the companies like when we get financing rounds closed. Mm-hmm. And then the, the things that we have so much less control over in the industry are when new technologies come out. So like when FLIR releases an OGI camera or an upgrade to that, that is a significant moment for a company like ours, causing us to have to adapt. Right.
0: So uh, because you're an academic and because you're in UND, you see it from both sides. You see it from the business side and the academia side. But for a company, and whether it's big or small in the drone industry, if they want to make relationships and inroads with their local universities to have that same test bed, for, you know, that same funnel of talent into their own organizations, from the academic standpoint that you're in, how would a company come to a, a university and provide value enough to get that exposure to those students so that they can be that funnel as they leave uh, gra- the graduating class?
1: Absolutely. So that's, that's an important question because in some of the classes I teach, I, I like to highlight the fact that in every part of the drone world, the drone profession, there are how drones affect, are used by that profession, and how, like say in journalism, journalists would cover drones. So jur- a journalist might use a drone, and a journalist might write about drones. Whereas academics would use drones in their research, or they might study drones, such such as that. So the ways in which I think that private sectors can approach the universities are keeping that in mind. So bringing them research materials or even bringing um, private sector match for research projects. So for example, we're doing this huge research project with thermal imagery using FLIR sensors right now on all 11 of the institutions of higher education in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. You know, we we got this signed off by the chancellor. We're working with principal investigators at the University of North Dakota. Um, So we're the private sector partner bringing resources to the table. And we're also providing different data sets that we had uh, beforehand that can be studied and help the course of the research.
0: Gotcha. So we talked about beyond visual line of sight. And I think that that in energy specifically, where you have the structures you're looking at run a span of long range in one singular direction. So beyond the visual line of sight only makes sense. Oh yeah. What do you think that we can do as an industry to provide a better environment for the FAA to make some sort of move or justification for easier access to beyond visual line of sight waivers?
1: Oh, that's a fantastic question. One of the things I think is taking pages out of the international playbooks. So civil aviation authorities that have successfully implemented and integrated beyond visual line of sight missions in their national airspaces, you know, that's a lesson that Sky's Coast has learned, flying commercially and legally beyond visual line of sight in several different countries internationally, mm. even with thermal sensors. So my thought is bringing uh, some of that subject matter expertise to the table and, and showing you know, what, these are the lessons learned. I don't go as far to say that you know, we know something that the FAA doesn't. But you know, it's, it goes to also to show that there are people who are putting in you know, some of this legwork that are just waiting for that beyond visual line of sight permission to come out. And I think it's extremely important. I think it's the holy grail. I think those are the five golden words in unmanned aircraft are beyond visual line of sight. You know working with uas attorneys working with our pilots so that we can get those lessons learned into palatable narrative that we can use to justify blanket missions across states and regions
0: so what countries are you seeing have something that the faa could learn from or that you have experienced that you could you have seen it work successfully
1: I think that, you know, some of the links that we've used Uh are bringing, I mean, and and the way in which we see them improve on themselves are are bringing, you know, new levels of situational awareness, not just to the end users who are getting drone data, but also to us about how we're going to be able to see it roll out and also data that we could turn around to the FAA and show, look, you know, this might help dictate how it rolls out or when it rolls out. You know, is it going to be blanket permissions? What are the certifications that pilots are going to need? You know, on the the university side as well, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a debate of looking at how some of our pilots are, all of our pilots are manned aircraft pilots, Mm -hmm. but, you know, is that something that we should suggest to the FAA that they require of people flying beyond visual line of sight? And right now, I mean, it's a tough question to answer. And I guess I'm happy that I don't have to.
0: <laughs> right. So uh, we talked a bit about sensors, and you would mentioned thermal. But I think LIDAR is something that people see or hear in the drone industry more and more but not everyone gets to see what the actual value is of using a LiDAR sensor. Can you give a little bit of ex- an example or two of where LiDAR is being extremely effective and also what the challenges are in using LiDAR for a UAS platform?
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, I believe that flying LiDAR and flying thermal sensors are the two most important reasons to be flying UAS, even in this strictly regulated commercial environment. So on the LiDAR side, and you know, I'd love to see sensors operating in concert. So a bird that has both a LiDAR and a thermal sensor like something FLIR would do. You know, one of the biggest difficulties with LiDAR is just the sheer weight of the sensor that, I mean, they're, they're probably the most heavy sensor that you see at scale out in, in the wild. And, you know, we use them for survey for roads, for, we've done railways and it's vegetation management and corridors, among many other different types of use cases out in oil and gas. Also dealing with the data that it produces, because these things just make torrents of data that we have to sometimes pipe in real time to an end user. Sometimes we offload it and process a little bit of it in the, in the fog, which is you know in the field, but still refining it a little bit. And then sometimes when we take it back to the lab, you know it can take several days to refine this data and turn it into the actual intelligence. That's again where I think artificial intelligence is going to come into play mm-hmm. and you know, the different bandwidth capabilities of the, of the cellular networks I think are going to be revolutionary to our industry among others.
0: So you believe that today LIDAR can be handled or, or used by the drone industry at scale today?
1: Personally, I absolutely do believe that, and Skyscopes is one of the leaders in the United States as far as using LIDAR in concert with thermal imagers such as what FLIR has, and Mm. we're working with some of the best LIDAR distributors, if not the best. The methodologies that we use out on our operations show that we can be a profitable organization using LIDAR, visual line-of-sight regulatory environments, but the thought is that we can be that much more efficient and competitive with other industries, particularly with lidar and thermal sensors, once beyond visual line of sight comes out.
0: Right. So, have you done anything with like ground penetrating radar or any of these more exotic type sensors, or have you pretty much just stuck to RGB thermal
1: and, and lidar? So, right now, RGB thermal and lidar are wheelhouse. Mm. So, we stick to that. But innovative solutions go into ground penetrating radar, and we pride ourselves on finding innovative solutions like using drones to string power lines so you know i would be not doing my job if we didn't look into these new types of radars and another one that's interesting is side looking airborne radar and the ways in which different drones would be able to either you know put down what could amount to a buoy or have several of them in in order to have persistent surveillance capabilities, new levels of situational awareness of oil and gas pipelines or transmission lines undersea, uh, on land or in the air.
0: What is it that drives your passion for, you know, basically keeping Skyscopes as part of your business? If you were just a professor or just teaching courses or just running Skyscopes, it's easy to justify that. But because you're putting so much on your plate, what are you hoping to accomplish for the drone industry other than just growing a business for yourself and providing for your family or whoever? What, what other things drive you? What are, like, the really emotional attachments to working in this industry
1: yeah i I think that's a fantastic question and and one that people who run uas organizations need to be asking themselves every day Mm. and really what i'm passionate about is the vision that we have at our organization and always alineating to that vision of becoming the most trusted uas service provider in the united states probably internationally as well and you know going along those lines of being the most trusted is is something that you know we're, we're constantly asking ourselves is you know how do we get more certificates proving how safe our operators are how do we refine the products to make sure that end users are getting exactly what they want and what they signed up for and, and then some guys that we've got flying out in different oil patches across the country are impressing me every day with the new innovations that they're making on our methodologies and the additional technologies that they bring to the table out on operations. That's kind of similar to how we are also refocusing our organization every day, just so that we're all marching in the same direction, lockstep, and singing from the same sheet of music as far as, look, we don't care about getting every mission done. We want to stick to our knitting on the most important ones to us and be those people that people can rely on no matter what and get the job done, and trust goes into that. With so few types of standards that people can hold up in the UAS industry, I think that overkill in terms of certification and a ravenous commitment to a safety culture are ways in which we can get to our goal of being the most trusted operator
0: yeah and trust is actually an interesting word and you used it before we even started recording we were talking about trust and I think that there's two elements to trust trust is one that that someone's not going to do the opposite of what they say they're going to do, Mm -hmm. right? But the other is to be consistent. Mm -hmm. And to be consistent in the drone industry has been extremely difficult over the last five years because the players pretty much change every year. There's a few that stick around and we we probably know those household names in the drone industry, but a lot of times it's just tough to be a consistent partner and to build trust when so many others are out there burning bridges for the rest of us that are sticking around. How do you navigate what, your competitors are doing and maybe not building that trust to make it dif- more difficult for you down the road?
1: That's a fantastic question. And having competitive intelligence and understanding the landscape of one's competition is important. Mm. But one can't let it get carried away. And I think that refining one's own vision and staying with their thoughts internally is how one stays in the game as far as UAS goes. And you know, I think that trust in many ways, is survival in in the the world of unmanned aircraft because we've seen so many flame outs. And, you know, Skyscopes is doing extremely well. We're past what we refer to as the valley of the shadow of death. You know, but there's still going to be monumental events that shake this industry. And I think that focusing on our own company is how we don't react to that, which is what our competitors are doing. And we don't see anyone really stepping on our toes right now and you know, there's a, a thought from the previous commandant of the Marine Corps, a four star general, said, you know, amateurs talk about strategy and professionals talk about logistics. So when we're talking about logistics, we're talking about internally how are we going to focus on our own thing rather than the external outward focused strategy of how are we going to react to competitors. It's wise. So I have
0: five questions that you have not seen. They're fast response questions, short. Just give it. Give me your gut response. All right. Yep. All right. Name three companies providing the most value in the drone space today.
1: That's a good question. Right now, I really think TerraSolid is one of them. I would say Flir is there. I can't say Skyscopes because you, you can. I, <laughs> I, I'm biased, so I'll, I'll leave Skyscopes out. But I would also say. I really love what Northrop Grumman is doing with the Global Hawk.
0: Fair enough. I, I mean, those are great answers and, I mean, throwing FLIR in there, you haven't been paid yet so... Yeah. yeah <laughs> I appreciate that. Here's your, here's your $20. So, second question. What percent of, of drones being used for commercial applications will be VTOL in the next five years?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Well, everybody thought that it was going to be fixed-wing mm-hmm. and VTOL is so convenient for the takeoff and the landing, but you know, you sacrifice your endurance oftentimes and vibrations can get in the way. Other efficiencies as well. You know, I think that as B V loss comes out, we're gonna see more gas powered fixed wings come out. And I'd say within five years, it's a toss up of a straight up 50-50.
0: Wow, that's high. But I mean, this is kind of off the subject, but North Dakota recently got a big win as a state, right? Oh yeah. For for testing. Do you think that impacts what you would see as far as the importance of VTOL versus somebody that's in maybe a more large metro type, like a place like New York or, you know, another state that doesn't have so much wide open space and so much focus on oil and gas?
1: Well, I, I think that the super corridor that was just stood up is important because it's a statewide blanket. And they're using different types of radars all simultaneously I think that the co- uncongested airspace is what makes North Dakota the drone capital of the world it's referred to as the Silicon Valley of drones and I would refer to you know this is Silicon Valley back in 1980 okay this is not the Silicon Valley that we know right now which has billions of dollars this is the homebrew of drones and. I think that, you know, per capita, you've got more UAS subject matter experts in Grand Forks and greater North Dakota than perhaps anywhere else. So the four full seasons also brought the John D. Odegaard Aerospace School, and I think that it makes it a very good testbed to start out with those first blanket permissions to then bring to urban environments, urban canyons and, and things like a New York.
0: Okay. So third question is, what has been the single most memorable or important thing or moment in your drone career?
1: Honestly, I, I would have to say it's probably when we were put on the cover of UAS magazine. And that's one of the, the times that uh, I ran into a colleague of yours at FLIR, Brett Conda. You know, that's, that's how we made our connection even with FLIR. So, you know, that's how we got some traction you know, we were able to, you know, get a, get a brand going and the rest is history. When was that? So that was back in 2016.
0: And you founded this in 2014, right? Correct. So two years of grind and you're on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. With your brand's name that you built.
1: Absolutely. And it's definitely a team effort. I couldn't be more proud of the pilots that we have and they go out and it's still a grind every day from every angle of the organization. We don't rest on our laurels, so we want it to be a grind. And we get out there on our grind every day.
0: Yeah, you have to. Yeah. To survive in this space. So, what is your favorite book of all time?
1: Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield. What's it about? It's about the Battle of Thermopylae with the 300 Spartans.
0: Is this a long-time favorite, or?
1: Oh, this has been my favorite since I. uh, This is the book that really got me into the hobby of reading. Okay. I absolutely love the. It's not a complete history, you know. It's uh, and I I mean, I I studied my undergrad and my graduate work at first was in the field of history, and aviation history. And it's not an actual historical monograph, but it's kind of like a docudrama with a historical theme.
0: Got it. All right, and last question of these fast questions is, what's something about North Dakota most people don't know or maybe overlook about North Dakota? It's one of five states I've never been to. Mm-hmm. What's special about North Dakota?
1: Well, one of the big things is that Mount Rushmore is not in North Dakota. Correct. It's in South Dakota. Yeah. Another thing that people don't realize is that we are the leading producer of honey in the nation. You know, We're the second largest oil producer in the nation. You know, We've only got a population of over 700,000 but you know we've got a right to claim unmanned aircraft as a serious economic diversifier in the, the state so i think that with the ecosystem we've created it all starts in 69th reconnaissance group bringing their first global hawks in and then standing up a uas department at the university of north dakota and then getting a test site and then getting the integration pilot program getting grand sky attached to the air force base which is flying Reapers and predators with General Atomics, and and you've got Northrop Grumman there as well. You've got some of the biggest manufacturers. You've got some of the best subject matter experts as far as UAS legal ADVOCACIES go. You've got some of the best UAS lawyers. Some of the best UAS congressional delegations. Well, one delegation in particular with Senator Hoven and and Senator Kramer. Congressman Armstrong is probably going to be big on UAS too. I think that our congressional delegations have done so much bringing UAS to North Dakota. And I mean, I'm being apolitical. Even President Trump brought out the integration pilot program with Secretary of Transportation Elaine Chao. So regardless of your feelings of these politicians, I would have to say that we are going to be getting beyond visual on his sight faster than we thought we would two years ago.
0: Do you need to put an endorsement on any of that? Or <laughs> no, the
1: check's not going to be in the mail. I Perfect. make all these comments freely. No, that's, that's <laughs> nice. But uh, I mean, a lot of shout
0: outs to uh, some constitu- or from a constituent. That's nice. Mm-hmm. So what's the next big thing for the drone industry? What's the next threshold that we might pass through?
1: Well, so after Beyond Visual Line of Sight, I think that you're going to see artificial intelligence on board paired with way longer lasting batteries. I think artificial intelligence and batteries and the miniaturization of the payloads as well, giving more accurate data and in faster times over 5G networks. So a big convergence of different technologies after we get those permissions. Gotcha. And
0: the final question I have for you is, since you've run several companies, at what point as you're evaluating an idea, basically what do you do to evaluate those ideas to determine whether you move forward with it and build a company from it, or you it's just an idea and you let it go?
1: that's a fantastic question and one that leads a lot of different companies down the wrong road where you've got this next new shiny object coming in that could be a new mission you know there are some others that we call unicorn missions sometimes that you've got to go do this you get this opportunity once in a lifetime And if it's not in line with your vision, sometimes, you know, you go and you execute it. But right now, when we get new opportunities that come our way and we've had to, you know, splinter off some different types of missions because they're not in lockstep with our singularly focused vision of becoming the most trusted operator, specifically focused with LiDAR and with optical gas imaging and thermal sensors and in this specific energy sector
0: so how do you evaluate what do you do
1: so i mean we ask ourselves the question of you know is this what we want to be known for is this where we want to be going as far as is it a rabbit hole or are there really metrics in terms of you know how we would evaluate it yeah i mean you look at the margins you look at projected time that you would have to be putting into it you you look into you know different cost benefit analyses and returns on investment and you know a, a lot of it has to do with you know is this what our brand is?
0: Because I am one of the most risk adverse people I know when it comes to business, and I've been an entrepreneur before, but I'm still very, very risk adverse. I think it's really interesting and really commendable for somebody to choose to start a business, especially a side hustle to an existing job as an academic. So, you know, those kind of questions of what gets you off the couch and saying, I'm going to do this because I believe in this mission. I believe in this shiny object. I believe in this idea. It's really hard for me to determine what's worth jumping at and what's worth leaving behind. So it's a personal question that I ask, but I think a lot of people in this industry are afraid, but you've obviously made a success out of it. Two years into your business, you were on the cover of a a well-respected publication. So, you know, just getting people to understand that there are success stories. There are really great stories in this industry. And just because you aren't sure if you should take the next step, basically justify making that next step because in your case it's really paid off
1: yeah and waking up in the morning no day in the uas industry is the same as the one before it but one thing that remains true throughout the commercial drone sector is that drones save lives and that's one thing that we can get behind that's one of the the messages that keep us going and that we can have a passion for you know drones for good are here to stay And, you know, if we can raise public awareness, public acceptance through successful operations showing that drones aren't used for nefarious purposes in American airspace, that's another win, too. So on the moral level, there are many ways in which you can justify and get behind a passion for unmanned aircraft.
0: Matt, I appreciate your time. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you, and uh, I hope that more people are, are checking out what Skyscopes is doing and seeing you guys as a guiding light to be that trusted source to see the way to run a business correctly and, and follow some passion. Appreciate it, man.
1: Thank you for your time, Randall.
0: Thanks for listening. Make sure to head to com slash Delta for more episodes and downloads. Also, subscribe or follow to make sure to catch all the FLIR Delta content. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover, someone you'd like us to sit down with, or a way we can make this podcast even better, make sure to send us your thoughts to delta.podcast at FLIR.com. Again, thanks for making FLIR Delta part of your connection with the drone industry.